Welcome to episode 102B. Today, Vera Hia visits with us to talk about her new book called Rebellious Read of Louds. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful It's March 2022, and I've just recorded this podcast. It's supposed to go out in December of 2022, because that's the cue. But because this was such a fun, engaging, and more importantly, impactful and helpful conversation, that I wanted to bring this podcast up to this month. Also, because Rebellious Read Allows is now available at the end of March. Let me read the book blurb to you. Spark meaningful conversations about race, identity, and social justice in your classroom using Read Out Louds as an entry point. Students need to see themselves and their peers in the books they read and to engage with varying viewpoints. How can educators create a safe and nurturing space that inspires young children to explore diversity and ask questions. In Rebellious Read Out Louds, author Vera Hia, beloved by educators worldwide as the tutu teacher and at Diverse Reads on Instagram, empowers teachers to encourage classroom conversations about important and culturally relevant topics during daily read out louds as an entry point. Presenting a broad range of read out loud lessons around current diverse picture books that can ignite deep conversations and learning about self, others, and the world. This wise and joyful guide prepares educators to tackle hushed topics with young children. Partway through the conversation, we talk about a certain book, and then I have Vera go through a lesson plan for that book. Stay tuned for that part because that was such a clear framework that Vera provided of helping us think about how can we connect these social justice and diverse identity books to our curriculum. I hope that this conversation sparks the rebellious reader inside of you and lead your students towards creating a more just and equitable world. Now, on to today's podcast. I am so honored and excited to have Vera here on the podcast. She's going to talk about her new book called Rebellious Read Out Louds, inviting conversations about diversity with children's book. So welcome to the podcast, Vera. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, It's so nice because this is like the first official talk I've had around the book. So I'm just excited. Um, this book kind of is like my, uh, like, I feel like it's a love letter to 
teachers and educators and parents even, I feel like uh, parents can use this book uh, with their own children or their um, children they're caregiving for um, because I love picture books. I love all books, but I love picture books. And I feel like um, sometimes we want a book just to read because it's a great book to read and that's great. But sometimes we really want those moments where we pull out the meat of the story so that kids and young people can really start to connect to the world around them um, and to like unlearn some things that I feel like, you know, growing up in America, we've, we've learned a lot of the, of the history of the, you know, the victor, um, or the colonizer, or you know, in America, it's predominantly white history that we've learned. And so, how can we mostly unlearn, but then celebrate all of those intricacies that we didn't know about? That those stories that we didn't have highlighted, um, either because of where we live, or how our families are structured, or just because the people in our lives never, never showed us that these were the stories that existed. Right. I know that, uh, so we're we're not finger pointing at teachers. They, I think they teachers do the best with what they can, with what they had, mm-hmm. right? And so like, I still remember when I was a kid, like being pulled out of my classes because I was learning English to go in a small little room. And like mm-hmm. that, we no longer do that as a practice. We kind of shun that practice. Uh, it, but at that time, that was like 30 years ago, and, and teachers did the best they could. But now, like uh, Dr. Maya Angelou said, you do uh, you do your best until you know better. And when you know better, do better. Exactly. So your, your book is helping us do better. Exactly. Can you start us off with telling us a story that has really shaped your practice to this day? Yeah, um, I have been teaching now for 16 years, um, and I started teaching in Texas, where I'm originally from, and um, I taught at a dual language school, so students were learning both English and Spanish, and it was it was wonderful, and I loved it. Um, there were like two teachers on every grade level, so it was really a family um, type of environment. We were very familial. We were very much um, in sync. Um, and then when I left Texas, I moved to, uh, just outside of Boston and I was an, a teacher there and I had a huge population of students who spoke other, other, other languages other than English and not just Spanish, but, uh, Portuguese and Russian and German and Japanese and Korean. And so I had in a classroom at one time, like seven different languages. And so in this part of my career, you know, I'm over the like five years, so I'm not fresh, but I'm still early, uh, you know, early in my teaching career. And I felt like I really wanted to improve the environment in which we were learning together because I had so many different languages and cultures in the classroom. I felt like it wasn't really representative of our classroom. Um, And so I started with books. And so I started looking at the books we have or didn't have. Um, I bought a lot of the like, you know, very kiddish like language translation books, like dictionaries in just different languages. But I started to feel like um, just just stuck in the fact that there weren't enough ways for my kids to feel celebrated. Um, 
And one story I feel like that sticks out about the whole process of the importance of us really trying to help our kids feel like um, the classroom reflects themselves is um, I had a student from Spain um, and my Spanish, of course, is not Castilian Spanish. So there were there were moments I could speak to her that were understandable, but still. Um, and you know, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the language learning process, there's there's a typical uh, they call it the quiet period, yes. where children who are learning a new language um, just just are quiet, um, not speaking either language, just uh, absorbing and trying to figure things out. And so she had a a very long quiet period. And so I was fine with that because I knew that that just meant when she was ready, she'd be ready. And maybe that wouldn't be in the year she was with us. Um, And so I was talking to her mom at conferences and just saying, you know, she's doing great. She is making friends, um, but she's mostly quiet. Uh, and and we're validating her experience. I'm I'm trying to read books to her in Spanish and just help her feel, um, you know, as much as as comfortable as possible. The mom's like, "What are you talking about? She's not speaking." I was like, "Well, you know, at home she should be speaking. That's typical." She's like, "No, no, no. She speaks perfect English at home." I was like, well, "What do you mean?" So she pulls up this video of the little girl in perfect English with her sister teaching as if she was the teacher. She was saying all the things I was saying. And I just started to cry only because not that she was like mimicking me. And that was like an ego moment. It was that those moments that we are working towards those moments where we're feeling like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I know in my heart, this is the right thing. Am I doing it this way? Does it need to be done that way? That we're second guessing our practice. We kind of have to remember that, that the kids are always going to take what they need to take and do the best they can with it in the way that works for them. And, and a lot of that might be unseen for us in the moment, but it, we really are impacting them by the little things we're doing, um, even by the big things we're doing. And so I think that if we can just keep remembering that this work is never ending, but it's so impactful, like those are the things that keep me you know, happy and as an educator. You talked about before that you wrote a love letter, like this book is like a love letter. Yeah. What What do you, let's start back with that. Like, what do you love about Read Out Louds first? Yeah, um, well, I love reading. I grew up, my mother was an English teacher, so reading was always like a part of our lives. Um, but there's something and and it's before COVID, you know, in the pandemic, we we would read at the carpet and we would all be sitting down. And there's just this kind of community around reading and storytelling that I think is, you know, as far back as we go as, as humans, um, this act of sitting down and retelling or talking and communicating is so much ingrained in us. And I think that the read alouds give this moment where we can say like, here's a story. Here's a story that might be completely unfamiliar to you. Here's a story that might be familiar to you, um, but let's explore. And it gives everybody equal footing, which is I think really impactful is that 
you know, some kids might have had access or experience to elements, but a lot of times these stories are new to them. So it gives everyone a starting place that's the same, not, not recognizing necessarily class and um, family structure, religion. We're just like all in this right now, this moment of experiencing somebody's story. And there's something magical about that. And I feel like when we can help with very young children, so early childhood, pre-K, kindergarten, first, second grade, when we can give them those moments of the magic of a story in the, in the sense of that now you know more about the world you live in. Now you can understand more about the people you interact with. Now you have a bit of more empathy, hopefully, and kindness and, and sensibility uh, when you walk through the world. That is how I imagine um, read-alouds for my students to be. And I know that sometimes, you know, stories are just lighthearted and you need to read a funny story because we're in a pandemic and things are traumatic. Um, but sometimes you need to read a story that's like, oh, yeah, there are families with two dads. Or, oh, yeah, people celebrate Ramadan. Like all of these elements that I think sometimes we take for granted because they're not stories that are own are very impactful for young people who don't realize all of the ways and the things that they can be and see and do. So as a middle school, high school teacher, I feel like I'm connecting to what you're saying. Even though this book is for K to five, I used to, with my advisory students, so my kids come to me uh, for about 20 minutes a day. There's These are sixth and seventh graders. And the days that we have time, we read a book together. And we'll, so we're reading a graphic novel, the Barry, Barry Brook Middle School graphic novels. And the kids are, I mean, it's, they're just so quiet. They're like, we don't want to play games. We just want you to read to us, right? And they, and one time I stopped the class a little early because I had to do another activity with them. I wanted to do another activity with them. And they were like, wait, we have 10 more minutes, right? And I was like, oh, wow. These sixth and seventh graders want me to read to them. And they were like, they, they want to be cool, yet they're saying, read to us. Right? And that, that sense of community, that bringing together of students. And the way we read helps tell stories uh, better, and then we can, we can see them. I guess what I'm trying to say is, similar to uh, what Dr. Rudin Simpasup said, she said, books are like, mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. When you, instead of saying kids don't bully kid, others, I, I'll read a book about a kid being bullied. And that transcends more and speaks more volume. It speaks more loudly than what I can when I talk to kids about don't bully. Right? And that's the magic of it. So let's go to the rebellious side of your title. Can you talk to us about that, about changing the norm? Yeah, I think that the, I don't remember how we got to rebellious, but we were talking a lot, my editor, Tori, and I were talking a lot about how these books are not just like, you know, the, the funny story, or they're not just the, the like sweet friendship story, even though there are some, you know, of those elements in this, in my rebellious read aloud book. Um, but we focused on the using books, like you mentioned, um, as an act of change, um, as a conversation starter, 
you know, and so we wanted that verb, that action. We wanted something that pushed um, a little bit more than a, a typical, quote unquote, typical picture book would. And so, um, and I'll just read this as directly from the book about what is a rebellious read aloud. Um, we are rebelling against what we have been told are the norms. The norms that say that early elementary students are too young to have important conversations. The norm of a white ego, Eurocentric curriculum that tells only one side of a very important story. The norm of a nuclear family, the norm of colorblindness, the norm that says disability means helplessness, the norm that says you can't do or say that in public schools. And we are rebelling in all the ways we have been told to stay quiet, to ignore, or to dismiss. And instead we are pushing through. We travel down a path that shakes up the norm. It is loud, it is thoughtful, it is inclusive, and it is rebellious. And it can start as some, with something as simple as a children's book. Tell me more about what you wrote there. That was beautiful. Thank you. Um, yeah, so then we, we looked at like um, kind of topics or areas that we wanted to um, have included in the book basically because they were maybe less likely to be explored um, in a typical, you know, kind of year in teaching. Um, and so we looked at at the ways in which a lot of these books fit into a, a specific topic. So um, then the book gets organized by things like how our names are important. And we look at books that celebrate the ways that our name should be valued. And even when it seems like a name is a little bit, you know, I don't wanna say any name is too hard to pronounce because all names are easy to pronounce if you try. But, um, you know, how people are unfamiliar with, the accents or the way we elongate certain parts of our names and instead want to give us nicknames um, and how important it is to value our names because they come from something uh, from our caregivers, from our parents, from the people who love us and, and, and simultaneously how we value names when the name our caregiver gave us doesn't fit who we are anymore. And how do we celebrate uh, someone who you know, there's a story called Call Me Max. How do we celebrate when Max wasn't born Max, but that's Max's name now. So how we look at all of these books um, through topics that give you just a glimpse, just to start at a conversation. Um, names, how our features are important, how our traditions are important. So looking at, you know, the different ways people celebrate. Um, how our actions are important, what we do matters. It's not just reading, it's not just what we say, but what we do. Um, families, how our families are important, how our identities are important, um, how our disabilities are important. And I think there's one more. Oh, this one's my favorite. <laughs> how our foods are important. And so, um, and then our histories as well. But I love the food ones because I love to eat. But I also feel like, you know, kids are very picky. Kids get in the habit of eating certain things. So that one was an exciting one to explore because I think it, I hope it gives kids, that one gives kids a catalyst that's really actionable. Like, oh, I've never had fried bread or I've never had, 
um, chicken soup with matzo balls. Like I'm very interested in all these things and hopefully, you know, all of these different topics spark a little bit of change for um, some of our young people. Yeah, I think the change happens when like in your quote, you said, uh, we are rebelling against all the ways in which we've been told to stay quiet, to ignore and to dismiss. And I think when you do this, when you when you, your message is to say, we're gonna be talking about people who are have been ignored, who have been told to be silenced, who have been dismissed, and now you're giving them voices. When you hear that, when when parents know that you do this, what how what are their responses? Because I know right now in Florida, currently we can't say the word gay, and it's March two thousand twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then there's the the ban, the book banning that's happening all over the United States. But, um, you know, in my home state, the governor tried to, in Texas, tried to, um, any caregiver or parent of a trans child was going to be marked as a, a child abuse. Um, that, that bill got shot down just last Friday, or this is Friday, but... He was trying to make it a form of child abuse. So um, yeah, these stories are important. These voices matter. You you need to say gay. I don't, that bill is ridiculous. But um, yeah, so the, the concern around parents and caregivers has been, I think, you know, since I started sharing these inclusive books, that question has been the biggest and loudest one. Um, and it's fair. I think that a lot of, a lot of educators are um, concerned, especially public school educators, concerned about the parents, the caregivers. Um, and, and I've been very fortunate in my entire career to never have an issue with parents or caregivers around reading these books or having these conversations. Um, I, I don't know if I've been lucky. I don't know if it's been the way I present myself. I don't know if it is because I am a black woman and like you, you can't help but to talk about my experience as a black woman, but my, um, my, my experience with caregivers around these conversations has been positive, but that's not to dismiss the fact that I know it's a struggle for a lot of educators. Um, and so I kind of say, well, what about them? Um, because in the same way, if I'm, if you want me as a caregiver to stop talking about, you know, let's say books about two dads. Okay. Well, what about that kid? What about that kid who never gets to see his family represented in the stories we read? Or what about, what about the kid who celebrates Yom Kippur, but all we're reading is stories about Christmas and Easter? Well, what about, what about the black kid who, um, whose family celebrates their beautiful skin and the only books in our library feature white students or animals. So what about, you want me to stop and think about your kid? Well, what about all these other kids? And that comes with a lot of confidence to be able to be like, well, what about all these other people as a way to retort against um, them feeling like, well, I don't think you should teach this. But when you know what's right, and I continue to feel like that has to be what guides these educators, you know what's right. You know that it is right to have an inclusive library. You know that it is right to have conversations with kids about the world they occupy. And if you continue to be led by what is right for everybody, 
in your classroom, then then that's the only thing that matters. And uh, you know, sometimes it takes evaluating where you are. And if I'm at a school that doesn't encourage me to have these conversations, maybe I need to change schools. And I know that that's not easy. Being a teacher in the United States is extremely difficult for a myriad of reasons. But again, being driven by what's right kind of validates some of those those ways in which we feel like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, you are. It feels right. You know what's right. Just keep doing what's right. And it, it's not just for you. It's ultimately for these kids. Right. I always tell teachers when I when they say, why are you doing that? I always say, when someone's not represented, when they're not there, when they're not seen, they will internalize that they're not valued. And I simply tell my principals or whoever is a school leader, I say, are we saying that the person who wears a hijab, is she not valued? The kid in a wheelchair, are they not valued? Or are we saying that the people who have two moms, they're not worth sharing their experience as well? And they always say, no, 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 but we, we just come from a very conservative community. And I say, that will never change if we don't slowly share. And I think this is hard because coming from a minoritized person, I'm Asian Buddhist and gay, right? So I got all that, tick, tick, tick. We have to share this because kids need to know, they need to be, they need to learn how to deal and embrace a diverse world. And we as teachers in power need to show like, hey, this is okay and it's more than okay. It's a different way of living. It's a different way of loving. And it's showing you that there is a different voice out there. We have to change the narrative this way that there's not just only one narrative. So let's talk about the second part of your book. So now that we talked about why we have rebellious read out louds, uh, part two is all about the lessons. Would you share with us how you structure rebellious read out louds? Um, maybe two or three lessons, and then the teachers can buy the book and get the other 43 lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um, every lesson is structured the same, which um, I know is kind of helpful when you're, you know, somebody who's new to this, to the idea of how, how do I already having to do everything I have to do as a teacher? How do I do something else like this, which is very thoughtful and has to be purposeful? Otherwise, what's the point, right? And so every lesson is set up the same way. Um, and we really or I really try to focus on how do I give educators the most bang for their buck? Like, how do we maximize this opportunity so you don't feel like, oh, I can't get to this book today because I have to do X, Y, and Z. And hopefully these books do that because, um, you know, practicing um, anti-bias, anti-racism, practicing justice, being socially justice and, um, uh, you know, focused on being intentful that way is all the things all the time. It doesn't just pop up as like one moment in your day. It's intertwined in everything we do. So um, for example, looking at uh, one lesson, you'll see there's the learning for justice standards, which was formerly teaching tolerance. Now they're um, learning for justice, um, but they have standards online um, that could really help I think frame that kind of conversation starter. And so um, for early childhood, they have four strands. 
identity, diversity, um, action, and justice, I think. I can't remember now all the four because I've been doing it for so long. I would have them ingrained in me. Um, but they, uh, so I looked at those and thought about how they fit in with each book. Um, and so taking a look at one book, I would put in whatever standards there. But then additionally, I looked at the first grade common core standards for reading and writing too. And those are implemented in each lesson as well. So you see clearly the standards that you touch on just by reading this book. Um, and then I did a book biography. So just like a little snippet of what each book is about. And then I gave my own personal view, like what I've learned from this book or how this book impacted me kind of helps you understand a little bit of why it's included in, in our lessons. Um, and then every lesson is framed around three concepts which is to start small, be consistent, and keep constant. And um, the start small is the part of the read aloud that you typically get whenever you read a book. It hits a standard. It's very low level. It isn't bad. It's not necessarily great, but it's just like, okay, well, we read it and we did it. And so if you at least start small, the first time you read one of these books, maybe you can come around a second time and do a little bit deeper the next go round. But at least it gave you a uh, starting place. Then the B constant is a deeper look. It's looking at why do you think this is this way? What do you notice is missing? Whose story is being told here? What is the bigger lesson? Um, and maybe it's not super obvious. Maybe it's small details, but it's just thinking about um, like in the story, there's a story called Freedom Soup. Um, and there's a story about, the story is about how Freedom Soup is the soup that uh, it, Haitian people use uh, to, or Haitian people eat around their Independence Day. Um, and I'm not Haitian. I had never heard of Haitian, uh, Freedom Soup before, um, but you know, Black culture has a, a strong and very connected history with food, um, as many cultures do. Um, and so I, when I read this book, I was like, okay, well, let's zoom in. Let's zoom in on how the Haitian people are eating this freedom soup. What changed about their experience when they had to make the freedom soup, which was called something else, to serve to people versus now when they can eat it as freed people? Um, and that's huge. that's a big concept for little people to get, but we just have to zoom in on that one moment and let's just really talk about it. What is happening here? How is this an empowering moment? And then the next layer is keep constant. Um, and so those are the things that are overarching. Those are the things that we really, really, really want kids to get. Um, so still with the idea of freedom soup, thinking about how our foods are important, not just because they're delicious, but that there's most likely a strong history tied to those foods and how we celebrate those foods with the people around us um, for specific reasons. And it's usually tied to historical or spiritual or traditional elements. Um, and then the last part of the lesson plan is making a plan of action. So you read all of this book, you talked about all these places or all these elements uh, during the read aloud. Now, what are you going to do? Like, you don't just put it back on your shelf. What do you do? Um, so back with Freedom Soup, it's maybe 
what can we learn about the history of enslaved people where we live? So maybe the history of enslaved people in Florida is different than the enslaved history people, the history of enslaved people in Virginia. And how do we understand those dynamics um, as we understand where we live now? Uh, what can we learn about the history of foods we eat and we celebrate? What's the history of a typical food or the main dish in the place that we inhabit? And then um, thinking about like, what can we learn about access to healthy foods based on the area we live in? So thinking about food deserts and how some places don't have access to fresh foods. What does that mean? Why is it like that? What's the history around that? Why are some places surrounded by fast food and other places have, uh, you know, gourmet restaurants? Why is that? And every book, every lesson ends with three thoughts. Um, this could be for yourself. It can be for the kids, however you want to set it up. And it's one, because I read this book, I now know blank. Maybe it's that freedom soup was a soup. Um, the second one is because I read this book, I wonder. And then the last one is because I read this book, I understand. And so those three elements are repeated throughout every lesson as you know, if I'm an educator and I need an exit ticket or I need some proof of learning, that's a journal, right? Like that's a quick journal. If I need to put something up, uh, you know, because we have a walkthrough with the superintendent, that poster can be up and on your wall as an indicator of learning. So I try to really think about, I know that the burden of being an educator is heavy and there are things that we just have to do because we have to do them. But that doesn't mean that we can't find ways to incorporate these great books and really have important and impactful conversations with kids um, and still get at those other elements. Right. Yeah, I think it would be a, a disservice to students if we only focus on the curriculum. Instead, we're saying, here's the curriculum. How can I find a path? Uh, how can I tether these books to the curriculum, right? Or I think about start with the curriculum, fine, but then think about opportunities that lead to uh, more culturally responsive and inclusive books. Right? I just love your framework. You're such a clear teacher. You said start small, keep constant, and I love how you ended with those three questions at the end. They're just, it's just so clear and it's very manageable. I was thinking, how is she gonna do this with like kindergartners? And you make it so manageable. Would you actually share with us a, like a story that you have seen how, um, or take us into one of your recent read alouds and how our kids were talking and what were they saying about uh, the things that you were sharing? Because I'd love to see what that looks like. Yeah, so we've been, um, you know, last month was Black History Month. Um, and then March is... Um, Women's History Month. So we've had a lot of like cross, um, you know, curricular opportunities. We talked a little bit about intersectionality, how we learned about, you know, the importance of this woman during Black History Month and now how we're learning about them in Women's History Month. And why is it, why do we get to see them both in different places? Um, kids understood intersectionality even at five. Um, but <laughs> One, I'm trying to think of one where we were reading. It just happened recently. I'm trying to think of the book we read that started the conversation. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but 
it led us to talking about the inequality between men and women because we were talking about women and we've been talking about, oh, it was on Women's Women's Day. I just can't remember the book, but regardless, I was saying like Women's Day is an important day. We celebrate women. We celebrate, you know, the history of women and, and you know, how we should be celebrated. And a kid was like, well, when are we going to celebrate Men's Day? And I was like, oh, sorry, that's literally every other day. And they, they were like, what do you mean? And I, and so we've said like, okay, well, you know, like we read in the story, this woman had to work hard. A lot of, I think it was something about, I can't remember the book, but that she had to work hard to convince the men that she was qualified for the job. So even after she did all that convincing, she still had to convince them that she was worthwhile. That happens with women today. I had to say, like, if I do a job and I called on a kid, let's call him Bob. I said, Bob does the job. We're doing the same job. Bob is going to make a dollar every day. Miss Ahia is going to make 75 cents every day. And every day we go on, Bob and I do the same job, but where does Bob get higher and higher? And I'm just staying, you know, slightly under him for the same job. And when kids jaw just dropped, he was like, that's not fair. It's like, tell me about it. That's what we're talking about. So I, I don't remember the story, unfortunately, but the thing that happens with these stories is we get to have these conversations about inequity and equality. And, you know, these little feminists are budding in our classroom where they're like, this is completely wrong. Um, but if I had just like glazed over, you know, their questions or just moved past to move on to, I don't know, math or something, we wouldn't have the opportunity to really dig into like the fact that, yeah, this is still happening today. There will not be a man's day because your day is every day. There are still ways that we're, that there is inequality uh, happening, even though we read the story and it was from the 1950s. Like, help, uh, gosh, I just don't remember the story. I feel like it was about Catherine Rainwhite. I'll figure it out. We just read too many books. It's like two or three a day. I'm just zooming through. Yeah, I just think, Thinking back at your story with, about uh, the Haitian freedom soup, and it's just, it's just so clear how you can make curriculum connections to it, right? And the, the structure that you provided, it's not just, we're just going to read and then go on. It's like, we're going to find ways to go. This is just the jumping off point, right? This is just the invitation to learning more about this topic. And then creating creating a space where students can have a question of like, so what do you think? Do you think this is right or not? Wait, what? You mean women get paid like this, less than men for the same job? And and that just opens an, opens enough space for the kids to, to see and see that awareness. Have that awareness that this is happening in the world. And then you have to take action part, like, so what can we do? Do we see this in our world? Do we see this happening now? It's just so clear how how the way you structured it out. What's your favorite read out loud uh, on this topic of rebellious read out louds? That is a hard question. That's always the hardest question. People are like, can you tell me your top 10 books? I'm like, no, no. they're all great. Um, oh, let me think. I really love the story. Um, 
when Aiden became a brother by Kyle Lukoff and uh, Kailani Juanita. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, that one, I'd always liked it, but when I got, when I started to decide the books I was going to use for Rebellious Read Aloud and I started to like look through, you know, you have to do like a revisit and you have to dig in deeper. Um, Kailani really, they just did a great job with illustrating I'm assuming the kind of internal um, turmoil that a young trans person is going through. Um, and I feel like, you know, as someone who is cisgender, I had a, I have a minimal understanding of what that could be like and be, being able to see it represented visually. Um, there's a scene where Aiden is looking in the mirror, like really up close, but you see the whole room and there's like broken tiaras. You can clearly see Aiden no longer wants, you know, wants to identify as a girl. And so that's represented in some of the, the stress of the room, but the mirror has a white piece of paper over it with uh, a frowny face, like a face over it that he, that Aiden drew to be the face that Aiden sees um, when they look in the mirror, because when they looked in the mirror, the face they weren't seeing wasn't matching who they felt. And I had never seen that before until I took a deeper look. And I was so like, that's, that's it. Like, that's the, that's, that's it for me. And later when Aiden and their family recognizes who he is um, and understands, you know, more about it, that paper's gone. And so it's just a beautiful, it's such a small detail that like, I, I've read this book maybe 10 times and never had seen it. And then you see it and it was just, it's beautiful. So that's one of my favorites, but I mean, I could, there's so many, they're it's just so, so good. Right. Yeah. It's like saying, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite child? You're like, they all exactly. They're all great. They're all great. Um, what, how did your students respond after you read, you read that? Um, so after I read the, read the, the, the part about these books is some elements that are sticking out for you don't stick out for the kids. Um, and so with that part, I was like, did you notice? They're like, yeah, <laughs> they were like, mm, what? Whereas I was like, oh my good, like this is the, so for them, they were like, yeah, clearly Aiden wasn't a girl. So of course they were going to cover themselves. And I was like, uh, um, so it's just so funny. Like they, the elements I think are like magical. It's so beautiful. They're like, this is very obvious teacher. Why have you not seen this? Or they're just like, mm, okay. Whereas they'll get focused on the, like they do end up loving the same books as I do mostly, but they focus more on like, they really like the illustrations or they really like the way I read certain parts, like their dynamics of what they liked about books are very different than mine, but I was a mess. And they were just like, yeah, it's pretty obvious. That's a good sign. If they're like, hmm, it's fine, not a problem, right? That's a sign of where our society is going and, and that embrace that they're seeing. I did, I'm just so, I'm so impressed that you were able to read a book about a trans kid, right? Because I mean, I'm openly gay at my school, but I still have to question sometimes when I when I if I bring in gay topics about uh, 
the, the queer community, I'm always afraid of like parents being like, so Mr. Todd is gay and he's trying to convert our kids, right? And we know that in international schools, because parents pay, people listen. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? When, when, when admins have parents who are like, mm-mm, she read a book about a big trans kid. My kid's gonna be trans now. Yeah, that is a huge concern, I think, for a lot of educators. Um, I have, again, the job to teach all of my kids, no matter who they are. My job is to make sure all of my kids are respected, loved, and cared for in my classroom, all of them. And so I am cisgendered. I am heterosexual. I have a ton of privilege when it comes to my sexuality and when it comes to my gender and elements of my gender that I think some, a lot of people don't. And so it is my duty to be sure that I build a space where any student will feel like they are cared for and loved. And so I don't know what my students will be um, in a year from now. I don't know if they're if who they are hasn't been discovered yet, their identity as they see themselves hasn't fully formed. And so for me to be like, I'm not reading this trans book because I don't understand it. And for turning anybody trans is is such a misunderstanding of what it means to like be a person with an identity, but I understand how that can be misunderstood or I understand how that is something people say, um, I would hate for any kid to walk through my class and say, Miss Ahia never really saw me and never really understood who I was. And, and that would be bigger, a bigger heartbreak for me than I never learned how to read with Miss Ahia, which is like also my job. Right. And so if I'm pulling out one piece of the learning experience and saying, this is the only piece that matters just because I misunderstand something or I don't want to take the time to look it up or I haven't exposed myself to um, people who are different than me so that I have a deeper understanding of what it might mean to be trans. Um, then that's me. That's not the kid. That's not the parent. That's me now. That's me choosing to keep myself closed off from an opportunity to help another person be able to walk through life as they are. So I, again, it comes with a little privilege to say like, so what? So like, so what if this parent thinks that? So what if they think I'm a monster for reading a book about a little trans boy? Like, I don't have any, I I don't have any other thing than guiding me other than what's right. And so if that's what's wrong, then I'll be wrong. Oh, I, I just love what you said. Like, uh, my job is to teach reading, but if the kid leaves realizing that I didn't love them, that they weren't respected, that they didn't feel cared for, then I have didn't do my other job, right? And so I think another way of saying is you're using read out louds as a way of saying, I see you and I value you, right? Oh, I love that. Okay, it's, I'll, I'll ask two more questions. This is my second to last question. Um, I'm happy that, uh, do you, do people ever talk to you? Uh, do people ever push back and say, this is, um, she's teaching 
what's that new thing called that everyone doesn't like anymore? <laughs> oh, critical race theory. Do people do that? Um, I don't know why. Again, I don't know if it's how I present myself. I don't know if it's because I'm just like no nonsense. Very few people have kind of nobody in my face. No one has said that to me in person. I think a few people have said it about me online. Like, oh, this is a CR, CRT stuff. Like I'll post a book and they'll be like, yeah, uh, you clearly like then my my comeback is please explain what CRT is. And then once they do, it, or once they do, they don't. But once once you give people that opportunity, you truly understand they have no, like, I can't waste my time with people who don't have any idea. It's like saying, oh, you're teaching about cows having uh, unicorns? Sure, show me where a cow had a unicorn and then we'll talk about it. But until then, you're unex unable to explain that that actually is happening. I don't wanna talk to you. I have no time for that. I learned a long time ago to ask curious questions when you're confronted with that stuff. And it comes off as very like, oh, tell me about where you read that. But it's really like, tell me where you read that. Because I know that you didn't like, I know this isn't real and you're making it up, but it sounds very like, oh, I'm, I'd love to hear more. But it's really like digging at the like, no, the onus is on you. You show me where this is happening and we can talk about it. Until then, there's no conversation to be had. You uh, channeled uh, Dr. Gaudi Muhammad. She was on the podcast and I asked her the same thing. And she's like, look, child, listen, I don't deal with people who haven't read a book yet. So until that person reads that book, I'm not going to engage in this conversation. Right? Exactly. I gave uh, her Goldie and... Um, Oh, I can't think of her name. Zarita Hammond. Yes. A shout out in the beginning of the book that that this book would not be possible without the hard work of Black women, her and also Rudine Sims Bishop. You know, without their work, without their, their way of thinking about the importance of the voice of Black women as the identifier of a movement for change, this book would not be possible. So yeah, I love that she, I love her. I just, I just love smart black women helping redefine education. And I really hope that like, it's gonna take a long time, but I really hope that their work starts to become the catalyst for, or the like must read, have to do before you can ever walk into a classroom. If it's since uh, George Floyd's murder, I think it's happening now. People are waking up and saying, oh, maybe we have a different narrative that we should share. <laughs> well, let's end with this question. It's called traffic light teaching. It's red, what would you, uh, it's called red light, green light, and yellow light. It's something that you ask teachers to start doing or stop doing, start doing, and continue doing. What would you ask teachers to stop start and continue doing in terms of read out louds that's a good question stop doing if you are a teacher educator who thinks that there's a lot of cancel culture around books i would say stop stop please stop thinking that cancel culture means you are wrong and taking it as a personal attack. 
Instead, try looking at what elements are people requesting that these books no longer play a part of in a child's educational journey. And I think when you stop being attacked because you really love Dr. Seuss and you start to think about the ways in which he vilified an entire race of people, then maybe you won't be so excited to integrate him into your curriculum. And, and God's honesty, I was there too until I, like you said, learn better, do better. So that would be my stop. So stop taking requests for books to be canceled as a personal attack. And books aren't necessarily canceled. We're just seeing like rethink them, but as a personal attack and instead really look at what is the element that people are saying about the book that might need to be changed. Um, so go with, I would say continue is that the continue? Continue is the yellow, right? Continue asking questions. Um, I would say if continue to um, not live in an echo chamber and have a variety of people you follow, even if you like follow them on social media and you're just watching and you're just learning and you're just observing their life. There are people I follow and I'm just like, oh, cool. That's how this, you know, specific native culture does this. And I'm just watching because I don't know anything about native culture in Canada. I don't know anything about the indigenous people of Colombia. So I'm watching. It's okay though, like continue to just build a world around you that's completely different from yours. So then you can see the elements that can be transferred into the classroom. Do that. And then the start doing is the go, is the green. Um, maybe that was the start, but start thinking about your long-term impact in education. And maybe when you started, you just like, when I started teaching, I just wanted to be around kids. I really loved like young people. I loved learning and playing, but then that changed. And so I had to start thinking about what's the, like, it sounds very hokey, but like, what's my legacy of teaching going to be? Even when you think you're just one person in one school in one small town, you still leave a legacy of teaching and is your legacy just going to be like, kids liked me, that's cool, but like maybe it's a little more. If you had asked Vera three years ago, would she have written three books and had all these like social, I that was not my legacy. But then when it became an opportunity, I had to think about how purposeful I wanted my legacy to be. And it was no longer just like I share good books. I really had to start thinking about well, what's more than just the books? The, the books are great. Now, what's the action? So think about the, like, start thinking about the legacy you're going to leave for your students to feel like that teacher was great. Not because we had, like, cupcake parties, but also because, like, she changed the way I thought about the world, or he or they did. I know that you said earlier that you hope that the, the culturally responsive teaching book by uh, Zaretta Hammond becomes like 
canon in like must read in education, I would say that you are the Zarita Hammond of Read Out Louds. And I hope that teachers it, who are in ele elementary school, who are um, getting the certification, be asked, be implored to read your book. And I hope that they have lots of rebellious read out louds. Vera, thank you so very much. Thank you so much. This is so wonderful. I appreciate you. Welcome to episode 102B. Today, Vera Hia visits with us to talk about her new book called Rebellious Read of Louds. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. It's March 2022, and I've just recorded this podcast. It's supposed to go out in December of 2022, because that's the cue. But because this was such a fun, engaging, and more importantly, impactful and helpful conversation, that I wanted to bring this podcast up to this month. Also, because Rebellious Read Allows is now available at the end of March. Let me read the book blurb to you. Spark meaningful conversations about race, identity, and social justice in your classroom using Read Out Louds as an entry point. Students need to see themselves and their peers in the books they read and to engage with varying viewpoints. How can educators create a safe and nurturing space that inspires young children to explore diversity and ask questions. In Rebellious Read Out Louds, author Vera Ahia, beloved by educators worldwide as the tutu teacher and di at Diverse Reads on Instagram, empowers teachers to encourage classroom conversations about important and culturally relevant topics during daily Read Out Louds as an entry point. Presenting a broad range of Read Out Loud lessons around current diverse picture books that can ignite deep conversations and learning about self, others, and the world. This wise and joyful guide prepares educators to tackle hushed topics with young children. Partway through the conversation, we talk about a certain book, and then I have Vera go through a lesson plan for that book. Stay tuned for that part because that was such a clear framework that Vera provided of helping us think about how can we connect these social justice and diverse identity books to our curriculum. I hope that this conversation sparks the rebellious reader inside of you and lead your students towards creating a more just and equitable world. Now, on to today's podcast. 